0: So today we're looking at the story of Jacob as we continue on this journey um, called The Ever-Present Help. Uh, and it's gonna be a fun ride because the story of Jacob is down and up and down and up. So we're gonna try to cover the majority of it so we can dig in, but we first need to start at the Antiques Roadshow. Okay, how many of you watch the Antiques Roadshow? Please be more hands in first week, first hour. All right. That's good. That's good. Mostly older generations. But so, here's why I like Antiques Roadshow. Uh, when I was growing up in at the first part of college, I worked for an auction company and we got to go in and we got to see all the old stuff that everybody had and it was just cool. So, watching Antiques Roadshow gives me a little bit of nostalgia. Hopefully, you enjoy that. It doesn't mean that I'm just old and boring like my daughter probably thinks, but it's okay. Uh, I was watching a couple weeks ago, and they had a portrait like this. Um, It was the picture of a young individual that a family had painted back in the 1820s. They wanted to preserve the gloriousness of their young child, and so they had somebody who had skill to come in to paint, and then they spent money on a fancy frame similar to this one. Here's a closer-up picture. She's sort of... It's got scary eyes, in my opinion, but they loved her and they wanted to remember her. Problem is, 100 years, 150 years later, somebody bought that picture at a thrift store. So while this individual was important to her family back in the 1820s, over the course of that time, She was forgotten, and this memento became worthless. The person that bought it was great. They spent like three or four bucks, and I think they said it was worth a couple thousand dollars, which is awesome return on your investment. But um, it made me think about my history. You know, I grew up and I know some history of my family. I know that this guy here holding up the chicken wing or whatever it is, showing a little wicket of what he's chewing To the camera, that's my grandfather. His name is Thomas Walter. I'm named after him, first name Walter. Um, But that's, you know, I knew he passed away from a heart attack about five or six years before I was born. And I know some stories that my mom has told, but I really didn't know him, so I just have these fragment memories from pictures and stories. Uh, This next picture is my great-grandfather whose name I don't even remember. It's in a, it's in a book uh, back when the Bruners celebrated their 100-year anniversary of my great-grandfather and his brother and his dad coming to America from Switzerland. Uh, my aunt and her cousins, they did a family tree. But it's in a book in a drawer at home. He's becoming forgotten to me just because we don't talk about the past. We are all about the now and what is coming. When does the new iPhone come out? When does this movie come out? What is happening? What am I shooting for as far as vacations for next year or whatever? And that is a dangerous thing for us because we sometimes don't remember where we came from. Israel, the people of Israel are much different. They are all about the Torah: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy. It is life to them, so much so that in their circles, in their worship times, they read the Torah every year. They read a chunk on Mondays at prayer meeting. They read a chunk on Tuesday or Thursdays at prayer meeting, and then they read another chunk corporately on Saturdays at the Sabbath celebration. It is who they are, and their sole purpose for doing that is so they knew who they were, so they didn't forget where they came from. Uh, That love for God's Word has shaped even how they worship. This is a picture from a synagogue in Jerusalem. It is the biggest, grandest synagogue in Jerusalem, and there are two things to note here. At the end, that big, giant cabinet looking thing is called the Ark of the Torah. That is where they store all of the handwritten on animal skin um, scrolls that they read from corporately. They have the entire Old Testament handwritten scrolls. The Torah scroll has Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all on one scroll. So when it's time for that reading, they get it out of the cabinet and they bring it to the Bima, which is this box In the middle, go back, in the middle of the picture. It's elevated above the people so that whoever is reading is stepping up to God. And it has a big table so that they can spread out the Torah and they can read it. And it's in the center because God is in the center of who we are. This is a picture of a couple guys reading from the Torah scroll. It's an event. It's everything, it is everything they do when they read Scripture is to draw them to God's story, to remember where they came from, which is totally different than the way we are. So it's good for us to dig into this reading that we've been doing these last few weeks and that we're going to do through December so that we see what part of this unstoppable story we play a part in. So I want to talk about the promise that Abraham gets from God in chapter 12, just briefly so that we can see how that covenant that God makes gets carried through these next few generations that we're reading right now. So when God called Abraham, this nobody from nowhere, this town of Ur, to a different place, he said, Abram, I'm going to make you a great people. Even though you and your wife don't have any kids and your wife is barren, she can't have any kids, because of me, I'm going to make you a great nation and you're going to have many descendants. There are a couple times where he takes them outside and says, look at the stars or look at the sand. You can't count those. That's the way your descendants are going to be. I'm going to give you a great place. There's going to be a place where you who came from nowhere and have nothing, where you're going to settle and life is going to be good. You're going to have a privilege. I'm going to call you my royal priesthood, my holy nation. I'm going to write my name on your descendants, which we see happen in Exodus, right as Moses gets the Ten Commandments, which we'll read here in a month or so. And then you're going to have a great purpose because it is through you that my blessing is coming to the world. It's going to come through your descendants, and eventually it's going to come in the form of a little baby on Christmas Eve. His name will be called Jesus Emmanuel. God is with us. God has come near. So this is the grand story that we are working through, and we're going to look at Jacob's role today. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 25. Um, We're going to read the account of Jacob and Esau's birth. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan, Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. We'll talk about Laban here in a little bit. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. If we remember back to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was childless And God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, but it's not going to be on anything you do. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to open your wife's womb so you can have descendants. We see another replaying of that here where um, Isaac's wife can't have children. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. Your boys are going to fight, is really what that says. Uh, One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. She birthed a furball, a red furball. Um, That wouldn't go well in today's age in school. He would be picked on a lot. But um, after this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and he was named Jacob. So Esau is named the hairy one, and Jacob is named the one who deceives, the one who causes trouble. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, the man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And you just get this this differing of pictures of these two boys. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There's just so much tension built in there. You have Esau, the brawny man, or a good northern Michigan tough guy. You know, you can see him marching through the snow in the UP, just uh-huh, sort of like the old home improvement. I can't believe I I thought that last night. I thought that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. And it just came out. I'm so sorry. Whereas we're just gonna move on from. Whereas Jacob, Jacob's the kid that hasn't launched. He's still living in his parents' basement. He doesn't like to go out in the weather because it's hot. He doesn't like the dust. That's the picture we get. Esau is the firstborn, so he, in the the way the land is, he is the heir of Isaac. He is the one that is in control of the family lineage. We're going to see that change. Because as we read the story, we quickly hear of Esau being out in the fields, coming home famished from days of hunting, while his brother Jacob is home making a pot of stew, and Esau storms in and says, "'Give me some stew.'" And Jacob says, I can give you some stew, but you need to give me your birthright. Which is a crazy thing to ask for. I want you to give away all of your rights and privileges as the firstborn. And what does Esau do? Okay, he argues a little bit, but then he does. And the scripture says that he despised his birthright. He despised the place that God had given him. A little bit later, we see Isaac on his deathbed, and he calls Esau in and he says, Esau, I want you to go out and do some hunting. I want you to get some tasty game and come back and feed me so that I can then bless you and then I can die. And as Esau goes out, uh, Jacob's mom says, hey, Jacob, go get some furs, go get a goat. We're going to trick your dad. You're going to get Esau's blessing. And they go in, and he tricks Isaac. Isaac says, it smells like my son Esau, but it sounds like Jacob, come close so I can feel your arms, so I can make sure that you are this furball that I birthed way back in the day. And he's tricked, and he gives Jacob his blessing. So these are these two things that Jacob has done on his own to get, the birthright and the blessing which weren't his to get or his to have, but he has done it his way. And if we remember back in the story, what does Abraham and Sarah get in trouble for? Getting Abraham to sleep with Hagar so that they can create this lineage that God has promised, but they don't do it in God's way. We see this cycle over and over and over. And so the result of that, Jacob has earned these things, but Jacob can't stay in town because Esau... The man of the wilderness is ready to kill him, and Jacob flees. He's going to flee to his family's native land, to Laban, the brother of his mother. And along that journey, he encounters God. This is the first time he encounters God, Um, and it's a pointed, amazing story that gets bookended as he returns back after a lot of time. So let's read that, Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And the scholars note that the scripture says a certain place because this place has no importance. He just stops alongside of the road. And if you lived in that time, that day and age, everything had a story. Everything had a purpose. Every place had meaning and so the fact that scripture tells us he stopped in a random nothing place makes us go why did that happen taking one of the stones there he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep that's what happens the sun goes down when you're on a journey you stop and you take a nap he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and there above it stored let me read that again, there above it stood the Lord. And He said, "I am the Lord, your God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I am the one who is the God of your forefathers. I will give you or I will give you and your descendants the land promised the place on which you were lying, and your descendants, your people will be like the dust on the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, there's the purpose, and I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, this privilege that I have promised your forefathers, and I will not leave you until I I have done what I have promised you. Jacob, who stole his brother's birthright, stole his father's blessing and had to flee, is the one who God is choosing to put into his blessing pipeline. It's through Jacob, on God's terms, that this story will be carried forward. And it's really from this moment that Jacob doesn't do anything totally dumb anymore. At least the stories that we read in Scripture He's sort of a good guy at this point. He goes off and he goes to his mother's brother's house, Laban, and he finds this girl named Rachel who he is infatuated with. And he tells Laban, hey, I'm going to work for you for seven years and you'll give me Rachel. And Laban's like, okay, that's a good deal. Jacob works for seven years, says it's like, it's just a moment because she's so beautiful. It's so lovey-dovey. And then what does Laban do? Laban double-crosses the one who deceives. Jacob goes into the marriage room to consummate his marriage with Rachel. And when he wakes up the next morning, which means he was uh, inebriated and it was dark, he wakes up he realizes he has slept with Rachel's older sister, Leah. And from that point forward, the Jerry Springer show of Jacob's life starts. Laban says, hey, work for me another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel, finish out your week with Leah, and then you can have Rachel, and everything will be good. But God sees that Leah is unloved and that Rachel is the special one, and so God closes Rachel's womb. And Leah begins to have kids. And then there's this not nice life that's going on. Rachel's unhappy that Leah's having kids. And so Rachel says, Hey uh, hey, Jacob, sleep with my maidservant. Maidservant gives some kids, sort of hearkening back to Abraham and Sarah. Leah's angry that her maidservant's having kids. And so she says, Hey Jacob, sleep with my maidservant. And in the mess of it all, God finally opens Rachel's womb and gives her kids, carrying this blessing forward. And it's intriguing if you look at the history, Uh, King Saul came from Rachel's lineage, but it is King David who comes from Leah's lineage. It's just intriguing. Uh, Come to Wednesday night and we can talk about that because that's just mind-boggling how God is doing that with. With things. But it's a mess. Jacob has four wives, 12 kids, probably servants now. He's worked for Laban for 14 years, and he's made some deals with Laban, and so he has sheep and flocks and camels, and he feels the need to go home, to go home and face the fact that he screwed over his brother Esau, and he's willing to take the risk. And so as we read, there's some There's some tension between Jacob and Esau as Jacob goes, and uh, you can read about that as we read through um, this week. But Jacob goes, and as he gets close to his homeland, ready to meet his brother, he has another encounter with God. Uh, This is found in Genesis 32. Jacob is, the night that Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford or the river of Jabbok. That is a river that's just north of Jerusalem that feeds from the east to the west into the Jordan River. So he is almost backed to the land that God has promised him and his descendants. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. But he's not really alone because Scripture tells us, And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. The man we know is either an angel or God himself. When the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, that he couldn't overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And even doing this, the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Which I have to admit, this whole story, it's hard to understand. And I don't really, okay, why is he wrestling with God? The whole point of it is this next part. So uh, hang with the story. The man asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob the deceiver, the one who causes trouble. But your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Your name is going to be rewritten to Israel, which means strives with God. That he walks with God and he's gotten over all of his problems and God is with him so much that he rewrites His name, which is similar to how God rewrites the name of Abram and similar to how God puts his name on Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus. So this is the whole crux of this. God's unstoppable story is going on. And as we read, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cause trouble with it. But God is a faithful God of his promise, of his covenant to Abraham. He's faithful to his covenant with Isaac. He's faithful with his covenant they made to Jacob. And so Israel, the people, want to dig into this story because it helps them to know when they need to course correct. Um, I heard a sermon three or four years ago about this Jewish idea that they are always looking backward while they move forward. And I tried and tried to find where it was, and the Internet failed me, um, which I probably should have took notes. But um, I found a quote from a rabbi, uh, and he said this, and I think this helps us to frame everything. Speaking about he and his people, we learn... And relearn the story so that we know who we really are and what we really wanted to accomplish. And if I would change this quote, I would say, We we learn and relearn the story so that we know who God is and what God wanted us to accomplish. By understanding our story and coming to terms with our past... We can return to the just path, the way that God wanted us to live, that we were always meant to be living. And so as we engage with this story, and as we read these passages that maybe you've never read or you've read them once or twice and they're just confusing, it's about us looking back to know about God's relationship with his people, the people he loved named Abraham Isaac, and Jacob, and that he walked alongside this people who didn't do very well at walking with God, which gives us hope because uh, I know I probably walk worse than I do with. It gives us hope and it helps us to know where we are going so that when we lose track of who we are, we can get back to what God wants us to be. So the question for you that I have today is, What story are you writing? Is it about who you are, like this lady back in the 1820s? Do you want to be known by what you drive, or the money you've made, or the career you've had? Do you want to be known by what your hobbies are? A couple years ago at camp, in a fun little activity, Um, we had some of the camp counselors do some jokes, and they looked at my Instagram, and they said, hey, on your Instagram, you have 40 things about coffee, but only two or three about your daughter, which is telling that in my social media space, I don't talk about God much, I talk about coffee. What stories are we living out that show we are chasing after God? And that's a hard question because it makes me look backwards to know who God is and what God wants, but it also makes me look backward to what I've done, what isn't pretty, what isn't godly, so that He can make that new so that I can move forward, so that we can move forward. So how do you want to be defined? Do you want to live for you, or do you want to be a part of this unstoppable story? Uh, We're going to take communion here in a moment, and communion, in my opinion, is a representation of looking backwards with what Jesus did so that we could be a part of this grand story so that we can then look forward. He is empowering us to live the story. So uh, the band is going to play, and as we respond, there's communion around the room. Um, If you would like to join us in doing that, there's there's a piece of bread which represents God's broken body or Jesus' broken body, and there's a cup of juice which represents his shed blood for us. And as you take that, I encourage you to think about what God is calling you to do and to be so that you're not forgotten like the lady in the picture. Yeah, people around me are going to forget me in two or three generations. But hopefully I've done the right thing so that they know I am one who followed the God of Abraham. God of Isaac and the God of Jacob hopefully you'll join me in that let's pray Lord I thank you that you are good and that you give us your story so that we can know that we are not alone in our failure to follow you but that you are an amazing God with an amazing story That is constantly drawing us back. That's not about what we do, but it's about what you do and how you rewrite who we are. My prayer as we celebrate around uh, the communion table and as we eat the bread and the juice, which represents what you did through your son so that we could have your grace and your love and to be a part of your story. I pray that you challenge us to think about who we are and what you are calling us to do and to be. My prayer is that we hear you clearly and then we move towards you. May you challenge us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. As you respond, if you're in a moment where you would like to talk to somebody, or this week you would like to talk about this journey and how you get back on it, or how you start it, uh, I'll be in the back. There are going to be people around here with blue lanyards on. Come and talk to us. We want to walk alongside of you in this journey. Let's stand and let's worship.